0: She's a former public school teacher turned stay-at-home mom. He's a talk show host who's made a career covering politics from afar. Now, Christine Stagall and her husband Chris have chosen a new path forward for their child in Christian education. Join them as they explore and experience this important alternative and education for the first time. Welcome to Making the Leap.
1: Parents have natural rights Mm -hmm. to direct the education of their children. It's not my business to tell other parents how to do that. I choose home education. Your family, you choose private Christian Mm -hmm. schools. That's your job, to decide that. We just think that the parents ought to be the ones deciding it.
2: Welcome in to this edition of Making the Leap. It's an exciting one. It's a special one for us. We haven't spent an inordinate amount of time in the year and some change we've been doing shows talking about a subject that we know many of our friends, Mm -hmm. relatives, and many in this audience uh, care a great deal about the subject of homeschooling, or some have called it home educating. This guest today... Knows it like the back of his hand. It's <laughs> been his forte. He has been in the space. And most importantly, he has been the leader, and this group has been the leading advocate group for the legal defense of those who homeschool or home educate. His name is Jim Mason, joins us today. Jim, welcome to Making a Leap. Well, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: We're Thank so you. glad to have you here. I When I started reading about you and learning about your organization, just taking it back to the, the place of you helped create the homeschool world, you gave it a legal place. Mm. And that is tremendous to me when I look at the growth of how homeschooling has exploded, how it's changed, what it's become. And just to know that somebody is here who's, yes. you know, said, this this is allowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is okay. This isn't, a, you know, a bad thing. I, I'm just so glad to have
2: you with us. How long was it founded, Jim, the Legal Defense Fund? What What is it? And kind of explain its hmm. history, if you would.
1: So Homeschool Legal Defense Association was founded 40 years ago this year, um, and it was founded by two lawyers, uh, Mike Ferris and Mike Smith, who themselves um, heard, so this this is in homeschooling lore, in the late 70s, Dr. Raymond Moore appeared on Focus on the Family with Dr. James Dobson and started advocating that kids would be better off if they didn't go to formal schools, but um were were educated by their parents at home for a variety of educational reasons and of course uh dr dobson then started calling dr moore the 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 father of the modern homeschooling movement well that broadcast was heard by many of the pioneers in the homeschooling movement including our founders mike ferris and mike smith Uh, mike smith was an attorney in los angeles mike ferris was an attorney in washington state They both decided to start homeschooling themselves in the late 70s, early 80s, when it was thought to be illegal everywhere, actually was illegal in many places. And so as the, uh, the fr- very beginning of the homeschooling movement uh, started, these guys, because they were attorneys who were homeschooling, started getting a lot of phone calls yeah. uh, uh, from mm-hmm. others so then Mike Ferris, um, Mike Smith credits Mike Ferris with the idea that this is going to be big. The homeschooling movement that was just beginning, it's going to be big. And so he said, we have to stand together. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we, can't, we can't have isolated families out there fighting the system. And so they founded HSLDA in 1983. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a membership association where... We'll come in, you know, for 40 years, um, you know, we have now almost a hundred thousand member families. And if the state comes after a homeschooling family, we'll help them, um, in, in the courts. And then we do a lot of work in the legislatures.
2: That, that's one of the first things I want to know. And I think every homeschool or someone who's entertaining homeschooling should know and understand the legalities of it today, um, I've got a thousand questions for you. So I know, <laughs> and ready. I
0: have a few. So yeah. I'll try to. Uh,
2: let me first ask broadly. Mm. You said in many places it was illegal forty plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Today, where does it stand in terms of its legality? Is there anywhere in the United States it's illegal to homeschool?
1: Yeah. So if if forty years ago you had asked the asked the Attorney General of any of the fifty states, you would have had an almost universal: it's illegal. Wow. Some of those people would have been wrong, it turns out.
2: Just 40 years ago? That's not that
1: long That's ago. That's not that long ago. Right. Um, and today, it's universally understood and that, that it is not just legal, but it's, a, it's almost a mainstream option compared to um, you know what it was even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was still kind of considered to be a what, a- what
2: was the original justification for calling it illegal, just out of my curiosity? Uh, so one of the first big legal battles all across the country-
1: Um, compulsory attendance laws say kids have to be in school if they're Mm -hmm. of certain age. And then there might, excuse me, there might be some exceptions, but most of those required that you, uh, that the child had to be taught by certified teachers. So if you were not a certified teacher and you were trying to homeschool your kids, um, many states would prosecute. And a lot of the landmark um, legal decisions in the Supreme Court of Texas, for example, or in the Supreme Court of Michigan, or in the Supreme Court of Iowa, all involved people
2: who were prosecuted for homeschooling without a license. Prosecuted. and And was that, as you look back on it today, was it truly legal, legislative, or was it political as we um, see it today? So Texas provides a really
1: interesting example because um, in the 90s, lots of people were getting prosecuted uh, with, for teaching without a license. And, and that's stunning. I know, I, and I, don't, I feel like I, that's not the super The 90s was a blink ago. People <laughs> were being prosecuted for that. Being prosecuted. And so uh, a, a number of people um, sued, and HSLDA was a part of this lawsuit. For the proposition that the private school law in Texas allowed parents to teach their own kids, that the, that the okay. actual wording of the statute didn't require that that parents have a teaching license to homeschool. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court of Texas. And so all of those prosecutions were not correct. It was always legal. Okay. But until that, that case in the Supreme Court, it's a famous case, the Leeper case in 1994, held that... The statute always permitted homeschooling. The um, case, biggest case I worked on in my tenure at HSLDA was in California, and it was the same thing where um, people, Mike Smith started homeschooling in the late 70s in California under the private school statute, mm-hmm. which by its plain words does not prohibit parents from teaching their own kids. But the state took the position that, that um, you had to be certified So years went by, and it kind of became an accepted practice, but the bureaucracy in California, the education bureaucracy, never really accepted it. And every once in a while, they'd kind of rattle the the chains and and threaten to do something about it. So it was kind of always a little bit um, dicey in California. Then in 2008, in a juvenile court case that was confidential that nobody knew about because it was a juvenile court case, the Court of Appeals in Los Angeles came out with an opinion um I'll never forget it august twenty eighth hmm. two thousand eight that um, said that homeschooling in California is illegal and always has been. And this yeah. was after mi- you know thousands and thousands of people were homeschooling. So we got involved in that case right away as soon as it became public and um, asked the court to reconsider based on things that we knew about the statutes that weren't presented to them uh, beforehand. And by August, that same three judges in Los Angeles who had said uh, homeschooling in California is illegal unless you have a teaching license, uh, reversed themselves and said, indeed, homeschooling in California is a species of private school education, which is what we'd argued all along. Sure. And so that was the last big teacher certification case in America. You got a lower court to reverse itself. The same three judges. The same three. That doesn't happen much. It doesn't happen very often. It was kind of a... uh, so it was really exciting from a lawyer standpoint. <laughs> I, sure. I can't imagine because we we didn't represent the family in the juvenile court case, mm-hmm. and you know we knew the answer to the question that wasn't ever presented to the court properly, um, and so we had 15 days to file something wow. with the court to ask them to reconsider. Um, and so there was a lot. Of, I've written uh, I, I've written a lot about this case. There was a lot of. Uh, legal stuff happening in the background that got to the point of us being able to file a petition for rehearing, which, you know, we were told by many, many knowledgeable lawyers in California. And it, it's, and this is true. Petitions for rehearing are rarely granted. Mm. Okay. Um, but that was the w- first opportunity to remedy the situation. And so Mike Ferris and I um, wrote the petition for rehearing in um, and got it filed just in the nick of time, and within less than a week, the court granted the petition, which in California means that it was vacated. It didn't exist. It, okay. the, the bad opinion, you know, went out the window, and then they permitted a full briefing on the merits, and I mean, I, I can go on forever. <laughs> so there were, um, you know, members of Congress, we, we organized amicus briefs from members of Congress, and... The governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, came in on our side. The attorney general... This was not that long ago. No, no. it's
0: 15 years. Like, that's what I can't... That's amazing to me.
1: Jerry Brown was the attorney general. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor. And they wrote a brief in support of our position. So we had the Terminator and the Moonbeam on our side.
2: <laughs> right. Two d- diametrically opposed right. political figures right. at that time. That we're right. still there. Right. Well, it, and did it ever, okay. and I'm sorry, I, I'm okay. just I'm fascinated no, I by the lot. history, yeah, yeah. and I want to set the table in the history before we go forward uh, on a lot of contemporary issues, too. No, yeah. Did it ever make its way to the Supreme Court? Did the Supreme Court ever rule on homeschooling, or did it, it never needed to get that far? So
1: education in America is mostly a state- Issue.
2: Excuse me. (laughs) And
1: so um, we have had some cases in federal courts that, that have sort of a crossover into federal law, but homeschooling itself has not made it to the federal Supreme Court. But we've had lots of cases in state Supreme Courts.
0: And that's for the benefit. Of everybody, I would assume, to keep it at a state issue rather than make it something that is – I mean, I know it's hard for people when they're moving from state to state or Mm. when you want information or answers. And what they're doing in Virginia is not the same as what they're doing in Illinois, and that makes it hard. But it's beneficial, I would think, to keep it
2: state level. Which, when you think about the Department of Education federally –
0: Right, and you want to get rid of –
2: That's only been around since 1977. I mean, that's a fairly new concept itself. And I kind of reject – I mean, if if I'm to be honest – uh, of if you say what's the first thing you get rid of you in Washington rid in D.C., of that, yeah. that's the one, is it not?
1: Yeah. So I uh, I've written this and I, and I think it's true. You know, the the uh, Jimmy Carter uh, created the Department of Education it was during mm-hmm. his presidency, and he appointed the first Secretary of Education okay. in the late seventies, yeah. which was about the same time that Focus on the family, right? And Dr. Raymond Moore started this fire that became. The That's actually movement. what I
0: think is very fascinating. So that one of, was happening. was that on purpose. <laughs> now, yeah,
1: think about that. I mean, mm-hmm. but think about that. Which um, you know, which has proven to be more successful mm-hmm. since the late seventies. Right. The education department in Washington D.C. Uh, dictating to all the public schools in America how they should right. behave. Or the or, homeschooling movement.
2: That was my yes. question. Was that on purpose? Was that a uh, a countermeasure? Uh, I, or I maybe the,
0: it was just the timing of what was...
2: Yeah, what I know about in this last year is the Washington Post has been white hot on... I, in fact, I, I remember sitting down and reading mm-hmm. about Mr. Ferris specifically, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you are familiar with the piece. It was an extensive Washington Post profile right. on this shadowy figure <laughs> called Mike Ferris, <laughs> Who's been the big money and the big advocate behind this sinister homeschool movement for decades? And they they talked about him like he was Doctor Evil Evil or something. Mm. But now that I hear you tell this story, it makes me wonder: Did the Carter administration sense that coming, or were those just two interests converging at the same time? I think it was the
1: the latter. Okay, because education had been a part of Health Education and Welfare Department. Okay. And so every president, you know, in my lifetime comes into office saying, I'm going to fix education. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They come at it differently. But mm-hmm. Carter's solution was take it out of this, you know, multi-alphabet soup uh, department, health education and welfare, and let's give it its own secretary. Let's elevate education to where it belongs. Um, I think Purporting that's what it
0: happened. to be something positive and good, obviously, right. where yeah. instead Correct. it has created massive problems. But the social nationwide. movements
1: of the time, mm-hmm. I mean, the currents in, the so- in society at the time yeah. um, did give birth to the homeschooling movement as public education uh, became more and more secular and more mm-hmm. and more a tool of, uh, you know, sort of top-down management and more ideological. Right. Um, that's, that's what prompted a lot of people in the early days to begin homeschooling is that the public schools no longer would support things they believed in. And that's especially true of Christians.
0: I think it's fascinating just your the timing of everything that 2008 year sticks out because I had just finished teaching at that point and staying home with my kids from then on and I only came across two homeschooling families in my my time as a public school teacher but since that point mm. of staying home church that you know I watched it just explode and so I just I find that interesting we were nowhere near California but no. I I just think about wow that two families and all my all my families that came through mm. Two were homeschooling, and now I look around, and it's, <laughs> well, just in church this weekend, I was looking at this section that we were sitting in, and almost every pew in front of us had somebody either homeschooling or private school. Now, there were a lot of public school around, but it was just in our area, mm. my view of church, and I just thought, that's fascinating, that what a shift it has
2: become. It is so important to know this history, because it's really short. It's a short history. Right. And it has exploded post COVID, as you understand and know. I would I would guess you, having been in this space for decades, have you seen anything like we've seen in the explosion of homeschooling, home educating in these last three years or so? No, I,
1: I, you know, honestly, no. And and you know, it's really a testament to the early folks mm-hmm. because in the early days, you know, back when Mike Paris and Mike Smith were, were homeschooling, families had to really endure legal peril and sure. social stigma. St- I was just going to say yeah. um it wasn't easy in those early days often and you know in some places it was harder than others. Um and not to mention I mean there were so few homeschoolers so you mentioned you know your experience mm-hmm. well back in the 80s it was difficult to you know for homeschoolers to connect. I mean Mark uh, Zuckerberg I don't think think had even been born yet so yeah. you, you <laughs> know there were no Facebook groups there was nothing.
0: No and it, there is such an amazing amount of resources now that I think that's almost that is the other obstacle oh. is that you don't even sometimes know where to start because there's too much information. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, back late seventies, early eighties, where do you start? Because you don't have that network. And what a, what what is, you know, I don't know what, a, what the word is, the dichotomy or the opposition there. That's, fascinating to me
2: well yeah it it, since since the last three years and christine and i have now been talking more about private education particularly christian school and then we started to meet and understand more about homeschooling Mm -hmm. uh i'd ask you it's our opinion because we're immersed in it now that this is very mainstream i don't know if that's accurate or not it feels to us now normal it always was of course normal Mm -hmm. i don't mean to sound like i'm literally disparaging it but you understand that um it's kind of like Dave Ramsey on finances, be be weird, you know, live <laughs> debt-free. Uh, similarly, I think many parents who yeah. homeschooled always knew it was the best route for their families, but many outsiders thought them
1: weird, odd,
2: um, right? And I don't know that that's so much the case today. Maybe that's changing. I, I think you're right. Um, what,
1: what the COVID experience did for many families, I, I think, is, you know, homeschooling had moved from viewed as the fringe... Mm-hmm. Then it became kind of a powerful social movement mm-hmm. where it was an instrument of pretty major change in our society, kind of resting control of education of children away from the state bureaucracy and taking charge back in the, in the family and the church and COVID, you know, benefit mean, many families going into COVID who would never have thought about homeschooling. Maybe they didn't think it was terrible, and maybe they knew homeschooling families, and they thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. But they would never have thought themselves uh, as of themselves as homeschoolers. And then they experienced, you know, what was going on in the public schools mm-hmm. through the Zoom window. Yeah. Right. They experienced having their kids at home. They began, you know, they mm-hmm. more more people were working remotely, and their kids were home with them. Uh, and a guy I know, uh, he's a professor of psychology, and he kind of comes at this more from a, a secular viewpoint. But he blogs. And he did a lot of studies during COVID. And one of the things he learned was that families, um, of, you know, it didn't just benefit uh, – it benefited families who are kind of, you know, high-achieving families mm-hmm. whose kids, you know, get up, rush to the bus. Right. Uh, you know, after school, you've got to do your, your sport and then your other society and then home and mm-hmm. do homework and, you know, dance lessons and uh, running everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they stopped. During that time, right. they took a pause and they learned that they really liked being with each other and that slowed down. And so a lot of people who would never have thought of themselves as homeschoolers um, experienced it themselves, kind of not voluntarily, mm-hmm. and, and liked it and have stuck with it.
0: Which is, I think that piece is amazing, too, because I, I also watched from the other end with COVID with... A lot of my friends and people I knew saying, oh, you know, here we go. We're homeschooling, you know, where the teacher was providing Mm -hmm. all the material. They were just watching it on a computer. And, you know, and I laughed and I thought, like, you are not even remotely homeschooling. But, like, to your point, you are seeing the fact that, wow, we don't have to rush out of bed if we don't want to. And, you know, there's flexibility. I think think people enjoyed the flexibility angle a Mm -hmm. lot, even though they were not – Technically homeschooling at that point. They were just teaching public school at home. And so right. there's there was a big difference.
1: But it's like a taste. Mm-hmm. People got right. a taste. Yeah. Sure. And and because there are lots of homeschoolers today, um, yeah. you know, then they may have taken the next step. And the other big mm-hmm. thing that I think has changed for our society is because of that experience and for the next generation really, people who have gone through that experience will be less reluctant to make the change, even if they went back to yes. public schools. We talk about that a lot. Right. So the public schools of today are a lot more ideologically driven in ways that many people find difficult to navigate. Mm -hmm. And now they know. They have actually real live personal experience Mm -hmm. of what it would be like to have their kids at home. Mm-hmm. Much easier to make that decision mm-hmm. today if the schools aren't.
0: Right. You can change it, it, it up if it's not working. And it right. was
2: almost culturally like, I, I still can't get over the fact that this COVID era was like a cultural accelerant. Mm-hmm. It made, as you say, public schools seemed to just lean hard into progressivism, whereas people became more entrenched as parents to say, I'm I'm taking control back. Mm-hmm. I've. I, I've never seen such a bright white line drawn as I saw mm-hmm. here in the last few years. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, so
0: your website that you have, I have been on there looking around and one thing that I really think is important again just talking to people across the country about homeschooling is the wealth of information that is on there. If you what would you um say to somebody as a new family, I'm a new new mom to homeschooling, mm-hmm. I don't know where to start. I want to know that I'm protecting myself, number one, but I also want to know that I'm doing what I need to be doing for my family. Where on you, that's because you have a lot on on the website, which I think is tremendous. Where do you recommend somebody go in and just start? Start. Where do they start? Where do they begin?
1: Well, um, you know, our name is Homeschool Legal Defense Association. So we have a lot of good information on how you can comply with your law in your state. And and you know this is this is sort of a, a a corollary to what we were just talking about people who were home during COVID and decided to homeschool and just kind of thought you could just start homeschooling, right, But you- <laughs> there are actually fifty states, and they have you know there are fifty state laws, mm-hmm. and some, they're different. Each mm-hmm. fifty each of the states has a different law, and so you do need to know what the legal requirements are mm-hmm. in your state. They are a lot less onerous and difficult to comply with today. But our website is just chock full of how you can start. Um, your homeschool legally. And then, you know, I would say the second thing to do is to find other homeschoolers and Mm -hmm. groups of people who are already doing it and plug into a community. Because one of the things that homeschooling parents and moms, especially, I think need to know is you can do this, Right? you know, and, and being with others who have chosen and are doing it, know how to do it, help you um, help you have the confidence to, to, Really step into it. That's a big thing, Um, and know that you don't have to do school. You know, public school at home. Mm -hmm. You, if you have three children of school age, you, you know, I have seven kids, and I can tell you for sure that they have different personalities and different learning styles and different desires, different interests. You can actually accommodate each of your children in a way that's um, best suited for them. So some children learn better by reading, some by mm-hmm. hearing, some by using um, their hands. Sure. Some kids have interests in, you know, they get really interested in, in arts or um, in, in you know, homeschool kids start their own businesses right. at an early a age. the lives are a
0: lot of that.
1: There's so much. So, so don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to replicate. start at 8.30 mm-hmm. and
2: have yes. you know English and Spanish and go right yes. right down through the day. And, yes. and that brings me to uh, what would be, I guess, the more, con- it's not contentious. It's not contentious to us. Mm-hmm. It's not contentious mm-hmm. to the Herzog Probably Foundation, not to a lot of listeners either. No. We have great friends. Uh, you know, Our daughter's in private Christian school. We have great friends who homeschool. Uh, but you know this better than most. They're, and given the history that you shared with us, I think it important for everyone to understand that this now makes sense to me, mm-hmm. maybe more than it used to, why there may be um, conflict of interest sometimes in the what's known as school choice movement politically mm-hmm. and homeschoolers who are very mistrustful of it. And I wonder if and that-
0: Clearly for good reason. For good reason. About, does that yes. stem
2: from this 40-year fight that you've been engaged in, do you think? I think in part, that's true. Um, I've written a piece called The Civic Virtue
1: of Private Homeschooling or wh- how I came to uh, my subtitle is <laughs> I can't come up with it The That's Civic okay. Virtue of yeah. Private Homeschooling you can uh, you can look it up um and I I try to give a reasoned uh, approach to why I and my organization oppose public funding for homeschoolers And it's partly that that Mm -hmm. that you know, with uh, the money, will come rules that we you know we fought for forty years to move back the boundaries of regulation in more towards liberty, and you know, public funding is very likely to bring more regulation back. But we also go back to a more principled. I mean, I try to express a more principled reason. Education really isn't a function of the state. Education is really a function of the family. You know, parents. You know, children are given to parents in the family by God,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's our duty as parents to make sure that they're raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and prepared to be um, self-sufficient, uh, contributing citizens in, in, in our nation. And so when you begin with that premise, if you start that education is a state function, you end up with regulation. And so the the school choice proponents, many of my friends in that movement, think that, well, everybody is paying taxes, so everybody should get money. But if you start with the premise that it's really not the right place, that it's really parents and families that should be doing it, then um, you wouldn't want this state oversight or the state involvement. And there's, I mean, there's a whole historical, you know, the very first, the progressive movement back in the late 19th century kind of displaced private charity with public bureaucracy mm-hmm. and Milton Friedman, who is considered to be the father of of educational choice and vouchers or educational savings accounts, in his book, uh, Free to Choose, actually says that before that era, um, people were better educated, more literate, um, you know, before compulsory education came along and before uh, public funding of education came along. And so he is, you know, from from an economist standpoint, wants to take a step back from Kind of the full-on socialist view of education, where you have to go to the public school, and you know the the state is the the provider of everything. To let's just be funders of education. So from a socialist to a social welfare model, and I think it should go the next step to be a liberty model based on um, biblical and kind of natural law principles.
2: I-, I love it and completely agree with you. And I spend a lot of time uh, off of this show talking about politics, and this subject comes up quite a bit, and what you've just laid out very well, I understand completely. Uh, Would your position be each state's capital, each state's legislature allocates so many dollars per student per year in each state, and that comes from taxpayers. Would your position be that model go away entirely? There is no tax collected, there is no (laughs) state Funding or distribution of education—if you had a perfect world, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's that's a that's a
1: uh, yeah. If you went back to the to the really uh, principled foundational thinking about how education should work, it should be in the families and it should be privately funded. And foundations like the Her- like the Herzog Foundation really would spring up yes. to help families mm-hmm. who couldn't, you know, sustain mm-hmm. a private education themselves. Um, and that's what—that's really what was displaced through that first progressive era was, um, you know, we we started looking to the state
0: mm-hmm. instead
1: of to each other. Each other, right? And and the really genius of homeschooling—why I call it the civic virtue of private homeschooling—is homeschoolers came together in a new way and said, you know, we we typically would go to state legislatures and say we don't want to hand out. We just want you to keep your hands off Mm -hmm. and we'll take care of it privately Mm -hmm. in reliance on each other. Um, And we have succeeded. The homeschooling movement today is clearly successful and is really more of an enduring institution. It went from being a fringe to a movement to a successful movement, which is now an enduring institution that can really shape uh, the culture.
0: I was going to – yeah, it, I see it going even further where I think it's really upending what is happening in public education because of the – I would say the exodus that is happening well, in a lot of areas is forcing education it, to rethink.
2: It threatens education establishment. It threatens teachers' unions. We know that. And I, I, I get hung up on the fact that we pay – all of us pay taxes, right? We pay mm-hmm. taxes for this thing sure. in our community. We don't, right. W- would, we- would it I, – I go back to this again because here's my position. I'll say – I don't disagree with your position, but I would much prefer then we be able to keep more of the money we're paying to the legislature yeah. to, to spend on our own children's on our own educational education. needs. Right? right. Yeah. And that's so so
1: there's the a distinction between um you know so this is how this is how taxes work, right? Yeah. So this is the libertarian in me coming up. Yeah, <laughs> Um I have money you, you know, and the, and the, the, people in the state house say, we need your money to help those people. So they, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't give them my money to help those people, men with guns come to my house and take that money and give those people. Mm-hmm. All right. That's, that's, that's your how, property. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. if, but if the legislature were to say, we, we value what you're doing, educating your own children. So we're going to let you keep more of your money. Through tax credits or other mm-hmm. other vehicles, we're not going to take it in the first place. You take care of your. You, you want to take care of your own own education of your own children. You keep your own money, you know, rather than us take a dollar, cycle it through our bureaucracy, and then distribute fifty cents
2: to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so yeah. uh, I'm sorry to continue to hammer this. It's just to be clear: uh, there would be no money leaving my pocket, going to the legislature, coming back to me in in. Jim's Perfect World. Correct. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's, it's easy enough to understand. Uh, and, you, and, and again, the belief being that even through tax credits from the state, that is a worry that that would mean they would have some kind of uh, r- potential role in your home education. Well, tax credits, we do support. You do. A tax credit that allows me to keep more of
1: my own money. So, you know, like the child tax credit. So mm-hmm. families with children... Um, who earn certain amounts of income, keeping more of their own yep. money, we, we
2: support that sort of an approach. So, uh, okay. for instance, what Kim Reynolds has done in Iowa, Sarah Sanders in Arkansas, is that, uh, forgive my ignorance, maybe I don't understand the metrics, is that not effectively a tax credit? I don't believe so. Yeah. <laughs> There's a physical transference of funds? Right. Okay. Because it
0: goes one place, right. circles back, like you said, right. not – right. So that seems like an easy it. needle yeah.
2: to thread then. I, I guess I, I need to spend some more time thinking about this because to me it would seem easy for a legislature to say, we'll just let you write this off come tax time or something.
1: It somewhere. is easy to do. So, you know, you have to understand, though, that Milton Friedman won the Nobel Prize yeah. for ec- economics. Mm-hmm. He's the he's – you know, you're, you're talking to Jim Mason. Not I, I have not won any Nobel prizes, <laughs> um, And so he, he's the father of school choice, mm-hmm. and they've been working on this for, you know, decades. Right. Yeah. He, st- he first started propounding this notion, again, from an economic standpoint. He comes from an economic standpoint, not from a natural law standpoint. Sure. So from an economic standpoint, for 50, you know, since the 1950s, and then in, in in about, the, so this is interesting historically, at about the same time that Jimmy Carter was creating the Department of Education and homeschooling and was getting off the ground, Milton and Rose Friedman published Free to Choose. Okay. And there was a very influential public broadcasting show about uh, how to, uh, not just in education, but in all uh, aspects of American life, how to get the government kind of out of our lives. And mm-hmm. want, and, and that that was really the big, splashy entrance of um, school choice through vouchers, which then became the Milton and Rose Friedman Foundation, which is now Ed Choice. So they've been working at this for a right. very long time. And just like homeschoolers, covid uh, gave them a huge opportunity to change
2: people's minds in in the legislatures, too. Yes. Absolutely. It's um, it's so important to understand, one, the history, two. I think um, I'll close by asking you this because I know you've got to run. You've been generous with your time today, Jim. Uh, d- do you think private Christian education, whether it's done at home or uh, private Christian schools, mm-hmm. I, I know your preference would be, uh, and, and the uh, HSLDA, <laughs> preference would be to have children taught in the home. Right. But I, I like to dispatch with the myth that we're really at odds. Those of us who would uh, advocate for Christian schools or homeschooling, I feel like there's much more that binds us in common than not.
1: Yeah, and I would like to dispel that notion too. So, you know, when you go back to my um, biblical and natural law foundations, You know, the Bible places the jurisdiction of the education of children in the family and the church. And, um, you know, out of that arises the notion that um, parents have natural rights Mm -hmm. to direct the education of their children. It's not my business to tell other parents how to do that. Um, I choose home education. Sure. Others in your your family, you choose private Christian Mm -hmm. schools. That's your job to decide that. We just think that the parents ought to be the ones deciding it. Making that choice it's, 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 instead. The, it's the parents who, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Lord has charged with making sure their children are, are raised um, and nurtured, not Jim Mason, not HSLDA, mm-hmm. and certainly not, you know, the Department of Education in Washington, D.C. This was
2: uh, one of our favorite conversations, yeah. <laughs> I guarantee, right? Uh, I hope that everyone will seek out those of you who are already homeschooling or considering homeschooling. This is an absolute must visit, the H-S-L-D-A, mm-hmm. uh, the website hslda.org, mm-hmm. which we will put in our uh, show notes. For sure. Jim, this is a, a, I, I know you've traveled to come here to the Herzog uh, Foundation. I guess I'd ask you just generally speaking, what's your impression of the foundation? And I'll let you run. I know I already said I'd let you run, but I'll, <laughs> I'll ask you in closing. Well, I think it's, it's just, it's a wonderful
1: opportunity uh, for, for Christian education in America. I, I became acquainted with Daryl. Um, in September, oh, at president. he was a yep. he, he mm-hmm. was a guest at yeah sorry okay we've mentioned he was a guest yeah. at our um, national leaders conference in uh, North Carolina in okay. September, and he gave me a kind of a rundown of what you guys are doing here, and mm-hmm. um, I, I just support it wholeheartedly. You have a wonderful campus here, mm-hmm. um, and the work you're doing is is really really important. So. God bless you all. I mean, I'm just, I'm grateful to have uh, had the opportunity to come out here and and chat with you guys.
2: We feel the same. Any organization that has written, the the Washington Post has written (laughs) countless (laughs) exposés and pages on in the last year. I I have never seen, (laughs) I've never seen the Washington Post so obsessed with the subject of homeschooling. Have you, I think they've done three this year. They're they're working on a fourth. I'm actually going to be uh, meeting with the the uh, reporter next week. <laughs>
0: oh, well, we'll watch. God the, bless, we'll, we'll pray. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope yes. they'll give you a
2: fair hearing. They seem uniquely consumed with it. I, and they seem hostile to it. That's my read on it. But I don't know. Maybe you're going to try to change their mind a bit.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an interesting time in, in our country because um, things have changed so much. We've talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they are recognizing. I mean, I think this Washington Post reporter and others in the more popular media are recognizing that homeschooling is here to stay. It's a force. Sure. It's a force. And mm-hmm. only growing. Mm-hmm. And, an, and only growing. And so while some of the treatments are negative, mm-hmm. it begins with the premise that we're here to stay. Yes. We're an enduring institution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're treating us that way, even
2: with a little bit of hostility. Yeah. Yes. They, yeah. They, uh, in fact, they even acknowledge that the fastest growth, we talked about this on a previous show, oh, is yeah. New York. New York City. Which is amazing to me. Not what I
0: would have expected. All
2: right. We could keep you here forever. (laughs) We're not going to do it anymore. Jim Mason, thank you so much. Thank you
0: so much for taking Uh, your time today. thank
1: you. It's been my pleasure.
0: And next week, we'll be back with more episodes. Thank you so much for checking in. And we'll see you here again soon. Making the Leap is a podcast presentation courtesy of the Herzog Foundation. Please rate and comment on the show, as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time on Making the Leap.